This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Hi everyone, I'm Jane Tara and I'm chatting to authors and experts about their self-help, wellness and personal development books. If you're looking for ways to be happy, be well and be inspired, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Better Reading B. Dr Ahona Guha is a clinical and forensic psychologist. She works with victims of abuse and trauma and also works with perpetrators, giving her a unique perspective into the subject. Her first book, Reclaim, Understanding Complex Trauma and Those Who Abuse, is a groundbreaking book that will broaden and expand your thinking, whether you're a trauma survivor, a clinician, someone who loves a survivor or someone who is seeking to understand abuse. Dr. Ahona. Ahona, please. Yeah, Ahona, welcome to Better Reading B. It is so lovely to have you on. Now, firstly, congratulations on Reclaim. Oh, uh, I, I just mentioned um, off record that I'd gone through it with a, uh, a yellow uh, highlighter over the last few days. It's an excellent read. For our listeners, can you just tell them a little bit about the book? Yep, the good old elevator pitch. Yes. Um, <laughs> It's it's a book about about trying to understand complex trauma and really all of the difficulties that can come when you have a history of complex trauma, which is largely trauma which happens within a relationship and, and can often be cumulative and chronic. Mm. It's different to single standalone trauma events like a car accident. And there's not a lot of work in the broader field around, around how people really understand and process complex trauma. So that was one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book because it felt like a really, really big gap within the trade literature. Mm. And sure, I mean books for the lay reader. Um, yes, I would agree with that. I've read um quite a few books on trauma, but it seems to be a bit of a buzzword these days. It's a hot topic. Um, yes, and what sets yours apart is that you actually address that fact that it is a bit of a buzzword, um, and the fact that trauma is overused for a multitude of conditions and symptoms that aren't actually trauma responses. And you write in it, I wrote this down. My main concern with the misuse of the word trauma is not that people use it too easily, but that we think we use it unthinkingly without full recognition of the many impacts of trauma. Yeah. So, so how would you, you know, sort of how would you know the difference? What, what, you know, a lot of people have experienced um, difficult times mm. and particularly you open in um, at the beginning of the book about the global events and the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic and how that has been incredibly difficult. Um, but what's the difference between difficult times and trauma? I wish I could give you a fine line and say behind this line lies more difficult um, adverse events and maybe over this line lies trauma, but that's a very, very difficult distinction to make. Yeah. I'd largely say that um, trauma can involve quite a spectrum of, of events. And in the book, I do really provide the, the DSM-5 and the ICD-11 criteria, which are just guidelines really. So I think the DSM-5 um, requires events to be, to be life-threatening 
Um, mm. The ICD-11 really defines complex trauma as things that are shocking and horrifying and beyond the scope of normal experience. So very hard to try to unpack that because, for instance, can we say that bullying is is aversive and difficult or when does it creep into the realms of trauma? So look, largely speaking, I adopt in my work quite a broad definition. I keep in mind the general kind of diagnosis of PTSD as well as complex PTSD and try to try to assess for those. Mm. But tend to use the language that a person who has experienced trauma feels feels most comfortable with. Mm. Uh, there's no hard and fast line. I'd say if things feel relatively within the norms of what we would expect to experience. And I and I give people some examples of that in the book. So things like having fights with partners, things like having a boss who micromanages sometimes, things like having a friend suddenly cut off contact. These are all difficult things, but I wouldn't necessarily call them traumatic. But then there are things like child abuse, intimate partner violence that do sit in the realms of the traumatic. And it's often about the meaning that it has for a person and how they experience it. I guess um, someone's own perception of the event. And I think in the book as well, you um, uh, have a list of uh, things. One of them is that the event happened in childhood. Yeah. So, so generally you would find that complex tra- trauma has its roots in childhood events. It can often. I'd say that we can experience a complex trauma or or a set of complex traumas at, at any age. So if you mm. think of like intimate partner violence or what we often call family violence that can happen in adulthood and that's still a type of complex trauma. So often complex traumas can can have their have their roots in childhood and we do know that a, a lot of people who experience complex trauma are re-victimized. Um, but it can also commence in adulthood. Yeah. I think that's one of the really great things about your book as well, where you're talking about um, people who have experienced trauma. Um, in their childhood are often re-victimized. And this is where your work takes you into um, dealing, working with the perpetrators of violence. And this is a conversation that we don't have Not a lot, no. And that was the other arm of the book I really wanted to write because every time I go on, on Amazon or Google and look up books about abuse, I just see terrible clickbait about how people are psychopaths and narcissists and there's no real underpinning of research and we have this entire body of research and this entire body of broader forensic knowledge that we just aren't bringing to bear or or aren't really putting out into the public domain Mm. and I think because maybe psychologists don't really like to put themselves out there. So I'm starting to buck the trend here a little bit. Well, I'm really glad that you have, (laughs) because I think it's a really important conversation to have, and particularly around, you know, domestic violence. You know, the media immediately jumps into this person is a monster. And while an act might be a monstrous act, you mention in the book that, you know, there is that line of their victims up to the age of 18 themselves but once they're adults and they're perpetrators themselves like you know where do we make that shift and and how do we Mm. how do we work with these men who were once the the well you know generally men not always at all yeah Yeah. um so uh, you know where has your work taken you in that area Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I split my time between a, a public forensic role where I work with the perpetrators and I do a lot of trauma work with victims within my private practice. So within my work with perpetrators, I've been within the same team for about five years now and we see a lot of really high risk very very pointy end offenders and we see people who do things like engage in arson stalking sex offending intimate partner violence gender violence homicide homicidal ideation um so a lot of my work sits in the assessment realm so when i say assessment really thoroughly trying to understand what's made a person who they are and why they've started engaging in these behaviors, but then also thinking about intervention as well as treatment mechanisms. And I also do some of the treatment myself, which is largely one-to-one psychological treatment around, okay, this is this is what you have. These might be the five different diagnoses you have. And obviously we know that mental health doesn't cause offending, but it can be a factor sometimes. And how do we put the pieces of this really complex puzzle together to try to make sure that we keep other people safe? And part of that, I think, for me, is very much steering away from the sense that people who hurt other people are monsters, because I don't think that that helps when you're trying to get someone to change their behaviors. And because I do the assessments, I also know a lot about their history and I can see how damaged some people are and not not all, but some before they start to offend. And that sense of this person's just a monster, a psychopath doesn't doesn't fit. It just isn't right. Mm. And do you um, do you believe people can heal and change and that men or you know, perpetrators like this can go back into the community and, um, you know, be functioning members of the community? So I'm not going to give you a neat black and white answer for that. Mm. Uh, I think that many people can change or can or can learn to change their behaviours. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't do this work because it would feel like going into work every day and bashing my head against a brick wall. Yeah. And that <laughs> so I do, I do have a core sense of hope and and belief that people can change. And, you know, we largely work in behavior change as psychologists. Um, for people who have more embedded difficulties or a very entrenched history of offending and maybe personality disorders or a range of things which have driven them to offending, change can be difficult. So I think um, we we know that we can rehabilitate people, and I'm trying to distill a really broad research literature down into a sentence but um but it can be it can be difficult and isn't always possible for everyone and there are some people that we might have to contain instead of um hoping for change mm. well i found it to be um an 
excellent facet of your book that you brought into it, um, the, you know, the perpetrator experience as well and and how, you know, they generally come from a victim background and they have experienced trauma themselves. Um, another thing that I found really interesting is, uh, you know, you were discussing how um, from a neuro neurobiological standpoint, the traumatized brain is unique, you know, and so, so what makes it different? Yeah. So I don't go into this a lot in my book, because as I've said, there are other people who have addressed this um, really well, largely speaking, increased threat perception. So things can feel dangerous a lot of the time when when triggers happen, and so by triggers, I largely mean something which does remind a person about the trauma. Difficulty with, with you know, really bringing your your prefrontal cortex online, and that's the part of your brain which thinks, plans, organizes. Mm. So people might actually start start to respond more with with stronger emotion, which they feel like they can't control, and they might be irrational because they don't have that part of their brain online because their brain is effectively working in fight and flight mode sometimes. Mm. I know something about that. I um, uh, started working with my own trauma probably about 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, in the opening, you touch on the collective trauma of, you know, the planet, what we've been through in the last couple of years. And you say, our world may seem fractured and uh, with no sense of certainty, no control, and feelings of impending danger and doom. This is the world a complex trauma survivor lives in daily. And that really rang true to me because one of the things that I have um, been working with in my own healing process and generally through a particular meditation style that I use is this sense of doom that I didn't realise I lived with until I realized I lived with it, <laughs> you it's know. thing that can feel so much like a part of you, and I see this with most of my complex trauma survivors, and as I talk about in the book, I have a complex trauma history myself, so it was certainly something that I've experienced, the sense that everything is dangerous, and it feels like that's just you, and maybe you're just a little bit more anxious. Mm. But really, you've got this grey filter on, and... People feel so unsafe and the world feels so unsafe and you just don't know that you've got this filter. And do you feel through, um, because you're quite sort of open about it in your book, not the events leading to it, but the healing process that you've gone through, um, do you uh, feel that that filter has been removed for you? I think so. I think one of the things I carry into the world now is this sense of I'm going to give things a crack and I'm okay with who I am. Mm. And I think the anxiety for me was about what if I'm not okay the way I am? What if I'm actually defective? And what if taking this chance shows other people that I'm that I'm defective? So I think I've learned to drop my own threat perception. So when I look at new things, I see opportunities um, and maybe curiosity and play. I don't I don't see a sense of I'm going to fail, but I've also learned to be okay with failing and I've learned to put myself out there. Like when I pitched my book to publishers, lots of people just, just ignored me. So um, about 10 years ago, that would have been really hard, but I could I could just swing with that. So yeah, therapy works. Well, they won't be ignoring you now because it's a great read. Thank you. Lots of people are still going to ignore me, but that's okay. (laughs) So you talk about um, 
so there's the differences in the brain for someone who holds trauma, but also that the body holds trauma and that that, you know, causes fractures in the way that we think, feel and hold memories. What do you mean by that? Okay, so in terms of the broader memory processes I was talking about, when a person experiences quite a traumatic event, their brain encodes memories differently. And what's really common with a trauma memory is that people don't have a consistent narrative. So they can't say things like the day of this event or the day that I was hurt or, or assaulted. I did this and then I did this and this is how the, the 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 event or the assault played out. People often notice that they just see flashes. They might have certain certain sensory modes which come into play more. So they might kind of remember the smell of a person's aftershave. They might kind of remember what happened before and then what happened after, but not the actual event. And that's not the case for all trauma memories. For some, there are they're they're very, very crystal clear. But often trauma can cause issues with how we encode memory. Mm. I uh I, a part of your book you talk about disassociation. Yeah. As well. So would that be an example of that? So dissociation is a really common defense mechanism. So when we say defense mechanism, I mean something that we bring into place to protect ourselves from um, from, from a difficult event or really from, from hard emotion. So it's a way of trying to switch off or numb or you know, detach. So yeah, certainly. So a lot of trauma survivors say that they don't actually remember the, the event or they felt like they floated outside their body and they're watching themselves from above or that time slowed down or time sped up those are all ways the brain or that's really just the brain creating ways to separate from the event so it doesn't hurt as much so it's a very common defense mechanism and a very very common part of trauma which you know makes it really hard when you're trying to do things like prosecute people because um you don't you don't have a full memory of the of the event Mm. um Well, I, you know, I had an experience with disassociation a couple of years back when um, someone called me to tell me about the death of someone, you know, and so that is very, was very clear to me that I'd done that in that moment. And then I was able to go back and look at other experiences in my life where I'd done the same thing. So reading about it in your book, look, seriously, reading your book, I'm just like ticking off staff going, oh, yes, yes, you know, you, um, uh, you talk about uh, some of the core beliefs and behaviours, uh, mm. which is great. You really break those down in very simple ways to read and go, okay, I recognise that or no, I don't actually do that. Um, some of them are like disassociation, catastrophizing was yeah. another one there that I went, oh, yeah, I recognise that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, I did really try to keep it simple and because the work with a lot of complex trauma survivors can be reasonably complex and long-term and I often do a lot of work with schema therapy which broadly speaking looks at the patterns people have in life and these are patterns that that underpin everything. So a sense of I'm not good enough can come out in different ways so what I really tried to do with Reclaim was to bring all of this literature and training together so all of the clinical training I've had as well as the forensic and to really draw things that apply to people's day-to-day lives that they can that they can dip into and read and kind of recognize and maybe start to start to make some changes and really identify when things might be trauma-based 
And I think what is excellent about it, because it's clear, like all that, um, the, uh, you know, your experience um, in your field, but also personal experience is all weaved into it. And it is delivered in a really simple way. It's almost like a guide. You can go through it and it's um, the the structure of it is excellent for someone to really yeah. truly understand yeah. um, the overall picture of trauma and complex trauma. Um, but one of the things that you say in the book as well is that um, uh, victims of trauma often have um, attention deficits as well. So I've picked up a few books in the past that are almost overwritten on the subject, okay. <laughs> you know, and, it's, and trying to just, you know, yeah. stay there and understand yeah. all the information and everything. This one just covers everything. And it's, it's the type of book that I would give to other people on it as well. So when writing it, what's the objective for you with Reclaim? You know, if someone now is listening who is struggling, how would Reclaim help them? And then after reading it, so it's a two-pronged question, after reading it, what would you suggest the next step is? You've got to love a two-pronged question. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> One um, at a time. Go uh, for it. <laughs> so look, the key thing that I would want a person to maybe take away or a reason that they might that they might approach reclaim would be if they want a compassionate guide to trying to understand the issues and maybe the difficulties that they are experiencing that they think might be trauma-related but that they aren't quite sure and they want to start to understand how the, the the events that they've experienced have impacted on them, but also maybe a way to understand abusive behavior so that they can protect themselves in the future. And I think that the second part's really important because we know so many people with a history of complex trauma are re-traumatized. And I speak a little bit about my experiences in that realm within the book as well. So really a guide to understanding, a guide to compassionately understanding without self-blame, but, but with a sense of mastery and maybe some power that this is what happened to me and this is how I can understand and maybe start to change it. I think in terms of what to do from here, if a person's read the book and feels like they have a history of trauma which has started to 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 affect them, I would probably suggest therapy. Yes. Um it's important to have support within the process of, of healing from complex trauma. Um, difficult for one to do for oneself because there's a lot of shame and that really needs another compassionate person to witness to sometimes start to make these changes. And I say that with some caution because I know how oversubscribed the mental health um, field is in Australia at the moment. And it's hard for me to say go and get therapy when I know there aren't a lot of psychologists available and nevertheless, I still feel like I should put that out there and say that there might be a wait list, but that's better than nothing on a wait list. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there's a lot of different types of therapists out there too. So is there a um, um, a specific type of therapy <laughs> that you would, or just, you know, just Google is your friend? <laughs> look, there's certain types of therapy. So cognitive processing therapy, BDSD, schema therapy, which is really great for complex trauma, internal family systems therapy, also EMDR. Yeah. Um, and sometimes trauma-focused 
CBT. So these are the main trauma therapies. Um, lots of people with complex trauma histories, I probably kind of recommend a good initial diagnostic workup because as I've, as I've spoken about, people can come in with so many diagnoses that it's really important to try to establish what a person's difficulties are. And the main people who do that here in, in Australia are psychiatrists as well as clinical psychologists. Mm. Um, that's probably a good starting point. There are lots of lots of psychologists who are really, really well trained in trauma. You don't you don't have to be a clinical psychologist. So what I'd say more importantly is trying to find a person who really does specialize in trauma and really understands it. Um, not just going to the person down the street that the that the GP recommends who does who does everything really- absolutely absolutely and uh, and but start with your book look this has been utterly fa- um, fascinating and the book is reclaim everyone understanding complex trauma and those who abuse I went through it with a yellow highlighter and I intend to read it again it really is an excellent read and a good starting point for anyone out there who is questioning their own struggles Dr Dr. Ahona Guha, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.